you have a Bible, I would invite you to get to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a hardback black one somewhere around you. You can grab that one. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. Galatians 5, beginning in verse 16. Just as an advertisement, next week we begin our series through the book of Romans. Uh, And outside in the commons area, there's a table, and these uh, scripture journals are for sale. Uh, Let me just, for those of you who are type A, we're going to blow your world up, all right? So there is a Bible reading plan that will just kind of give you a way through the book of Romans that will not align with how it preaches here on Sunday. You're like, why didn't you guys think of this? It's because... We're going to to split up the book of Romans into different series throughout the book. We will navigate through the book, but chunk it up into different series. And so if you just mow through the book of Romans, it won't correspond with preaching. But here's the point. We're not concerned with whether or not it aligns with what's happening on the stage. We're more concerned that you read the Bible. Um, And we want to give you a tool to help you through that. So grab one of those. Eight bucks. Hopefully help you as you read the book of Romans. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. Hopefully you have navigated there. Uh, officially, football season is back, my friends. It is back. Um, and for those of you who cheered, you care. And for those of you who didn't, you don't care at all. Um, <clears throat> which doesn't really matter for the sake of this, but uh, if you have played football before, I'll have to get you into a mindset of when you first began and tried to start understanding. If you've never played or don't understand the sport, it'll be really helpful because I just want you to imagine that you've been dropped onto a football team. You pick the team, your favorite team, whatever. What are the things that you would need from a coach in order to be successful? There are certainly a variety of things, but I'm going to give you three. The first one is you need information. What am I doing here? What do you want me to do here? We want you to play wide receiver, and on this play, we want you to run this wheel route. And you're a good, you know, student of the game, so you've got a notebook, and you're like, okay, wide receiver, wheel route. You, you absorb the information, But you don't just need information, you also need some motivation. You need a good why for what's going on here. Why do I need to run this wheel route? It's like, well, we think that the defense is weak in this way, so we're going to run this route. It's probably going to get us about 10 or 12 yards. We'll get the first down, keep marching down the field, probably win the game. You get motivation there. You got information and you've got motivation. But remember, you either don't understand or have never played the game. And so can you just imagine with information and motivation, the coach is like, go get them. And you're like, Where? How do you want me to do this? I don't know where the wide receiver stands. What's a wheel route? Do I just run in a circle until the quarterback throws me the ball? Like, what am I supposed to do? Because information and motivation without demonstration will lead you to frustration. And the same is true for us as we navigate life walking with Jesus. And we've been in this series for the last few weeks called You Asked For It, just seeking to answer questions that you have submitted, that we want to look at the Bible and answer and see what the answer is. And so today the question is, what does it look like to walk in step with the Spirit practically? It's a question of how. And for many of you, you've got the what. You've got the why. You've been in church long enough. But you don't know how. You've got information. You've even got motivation but you have no demonstration. And so you're just left with frustration. And so hopefully today, as we navigate through Galatians chapter five, 16 to 26, we'll answer this question clearly. So if you're able to stand, I would invite you to do so. Galatians chapter five, 16 through 26. 
After our main text reading, we say this phrase, the very words. This is a means to separate God's perfect words from mine that are not. Galatians chapter 5, 16 through 26, this is what the word of God says. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You can have a seat. So again, we're seeking to answer this question. What does it look like to walk in step with the Spirit practically? How do we do this? And so here's our main idea for our time together. It's long. Hold on. Buckle up. Here we go. Walking in step with the Spirit looks like doing the things that allow you to be under the constant, moment-by-moment direction, control, and guidance of the Spirit. I'll say it to you one more time. It's a mouthful. Walking in step with the Spirit looks like doing the things that allow you to be under the constant, moment-by-moment direction, control, and guidance of the Spirit. And so before we jump into the question at hand today, we do need to answer what and why. What's the information and what's the motivation? Because I don't want to make assumptions that you understand before we ever jump in to answer the question at hand today. So what do we mean when we say walking by the Spirit? Maybe you have grown up in church and you've heard that phrase for a fair majority of your life, but you're not sure what it means. It just sounds like Bible phrases to you, but you're not clear on what we mean here. So what do we mean when we say walking by the Spirit? One commentator describes it this way. To walk by the Spirit means to be under the constant, moment-by-moment direction, control, and guidance of the Spirit. The constant, moment-by-moment direction, control, and guidance of the Spirit. So let's pull that apart. Walking by the Spirit is a constant thing. We don't turn this off. There is no off switch here. You don't walk into church and be like, engage walking by the Spirit. And then when you leave here, get in your car, just like with all these other fools on the road, I'm turning this thing off. We are no longer walking by the Spirit. It's a constant thing. We are all of the time, as the people of Jesus, walking by the Spirit. But it's not generic. It's moment by moment. It's specific to the situation. So what it looks like to walk by the Spirit in your car, at your house, at your cubicle, could look vastly different. But nonetheless, it's constant and moment by moment. But it also requires submission. It's under the constant direction, control, and guidance of the Spirit. To walk by the Spirit, we have to be in submission to the Spirit. And this is the place where some of us have issue. Because we are a people who don't like to be under authority. We like to be in authority. We want to guide this thing. We think we know best. I mean, we've been in our body our whole life. Certainly we know how this goes. But many of you could testify to this reality that when we take the reins of our life, we lead ourselves to some really destructive places. 
And what's more than that is to, to think it's not good or best for us to be under the authority of the Spirit of God is making some assumptions about God's ways and God's character that are just all outright false. That perhaps some of you think, you know what, this is all that God's about. He gives you some rules, do these things, don't do these things, and get, this, get all the fun sucked out of your life and live as a Christian until you get to heaven. And you're operating under this false assumption of what the Christian life is, that God is not robbing you of life, he's actually leading you toward life. That Randy Alcorn says it like this, that God is more after your joy than you are. You just settle for joy in cheap things. And so we should operate under this reality that to live under the the authority of the Spirit of God is actually to live in a good place under a good God who wants good things for us. And so we submit ourselves constantly, moment by moment, under the direction and control of the Spirit. This is what it means to walk by the Spirit. But again, I don't want to make assumptions that all of you have the Spirit, that it would be impossible for you to walk by the Spirit if you do not have the Spirit. And it would be a tragedy for me if you walked out of here thinking about how to live by the Spirit practically, never having received the Holy Spirit. And so the question is, how does that happen? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In him, that's in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit that we receive the Spirit of God through belief in the Son of God. There is no other way to believe in the perfect life, the sacrificial death, and the victorious resurrection of Jesus, that that counts for us. And so we've gone all in on that reality, that your life perfectly lived was where I was supposed to perfectly live, and your death sacrificially died was where I was supposed to absorb the wrath of God, but by grace you took it, and you victoriously rose from the grave. Now that I bet my life, bet faith in the reality that Jesus is who he says he is, I am saved and am sealed with the Holy Spirit. The only way that we have the Spirit of God is through belief in the Son of God. So the question on the table for some of you is, do you believe in the Son of God? Not do you know who he is? Not have you heard his name? Have you bet your life on the reality that he has lived, died, and risen, and there is no other way that we are led to relationship with God? We receive the Spirit of God by belief in the Son of God. This is what it means to walk by the Spirit. Now the question is, why does it matter? What's our motivation? We've got information, but what's the motivation? Why does it matter? Look at verse 16. But I say walk by the Spirit. That's information. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The reason why we should be people who walk by the Spirit is because we are at war. At war in two ways. You see the first one there in 16 through 17. We are at war with ourselves. There are two desires in us as the people of God. There are desires of the flesh, desires of the Spirit, and they're opposed to one another. The desires of the spirit, they're against the flesh. And the desires of the flesh, they're against the spirit to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. If you've walked with Jesus for any amount of time, you understand this reality. 
There are things that pop up in you that you thought were dead, and yet somehow you stumbled over it again. That yes, our old self has died, but yet in some ways it's still dying. And you say along with Paul in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but, the, but I do the very thing I hate. Maybe some of you could describe moments in your life. You participated in something, thought something, chased after something, and on the backside of it, as a follower of Jesus, you thought, I don't understand myself. The things that I want to avoid, I end up engaging in, and the things that I want to engage in, I end up avoiding. What's going on in me? You're at war with yourself. Your old self is dying, and the Spirit of God has taken up residence in your body, and there is a war happening. And the way that we engage in this war well is by walking in step with the Spirit. But it's not just war with ourselves. We're at war with a very real enemy. Paul describes it like this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That we are at war with ourselves, but we are also at war with a very real enemy who has a mission for your life and mine. And it's the same, it just gets applied differently. He wants to kill you, steal from you, and destroy you. That's the aim. And he will do whatever it takes to kill you, steal from you, and destroy you. We're at war. For many of you, this is like, I can't, I can't buy that reality. It's tough for you to grasp but yet an ever-present reality that we must face. We're at war. And the way that we advance and thrive in this war is by walking in step with the Spirit of God. Okay, so now we have information and motivation. Now we're left with the question at hand. What does it look like? How do we do this? What's the demonstration of this reality? What does it look like to keep in step with the Spirit of God. Certainly there's a longer list that I'm about to give to you, but I'm gonna give you three. The first one is this. We walk in step with the Spirit of God by reading, memorizing, and obeying God's word. Reading, memorizing, and obeying God's word. You're like, that's three things. It's still one point. Just go with me, okay? <laughs> we read, memorize, and obey God's word. And maybe for some of you here, you're like, man, I just thought you were going to give me something a little bit more like new than read your Bible. Let me just let you in on a secret. You can just lean in for this. Just get ready. We aren't moving on from the Bible. It's not Christianity 101, and then we put it on the shelf and go talk about something different. It's the main event. And we are people of the scriptures who are shaped by them. Because, because of this reality, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God 
and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The reason that people like me stand up here on stages like this and say to people like you, read your Bibles, is not because we get a kickback from it, we don't get royalty checks, it's because we really do believe God has spoken to us in the scriptures and it's good for us. It teaches us and corrects us and rebukes us and trains us toward righteousness. And so because God is spoken, we want to listen. And we read the Bible. And right away, for some of you, this is a a source of insecurity or maybe a source of guilt and shame because you've tried reading the Bible. New Year's came around, you're like, I'm going to read my Bible every day this year. Or maybe you're not a New Year's person, you're like, New Year's resolutions, I don't do that, I'm doing it today. Like, okay, whatever. And you set this goal and you're going to read the Bible. And you read day one, day two, day three, day four. Maybe you made it to double digits. And somewhere along the way, life happened. And you got booted off the wagon. And because we're so type A in the suburbs, we're behind on our Bible reading plan. And you're like, look, if I can't check the box on time, then I'm not going to check the box at all. Therefore, I'm going to stop taking the boxes. I just won't read the Bible. I'm too far behind. I'm not caught up. So I won't do it. And then you hear people like me stand up here on stages like this and say to you, let's read the Bible. And you think, well, it's easy for you. You get paid to read the Bible. <laughs> but, but hear me say this to you. This is not me standing up here and saying, do better. This is me standing up here saying to you, I struggle to read the Bible There are days that I miss reading my Bible because of my own laziness and because I prioritize other things. I'm not here saying to you, could we just do better? I'm here saying to you, if the God of the universe has spoken, we would do well to listen. So let's read the Bible. And so practically, what might this look like for you? And maybe some of you will get on a Bible reading plan. You'll get on the Bible app, you'll hop online, you'll figure it out. You're like, I just need some structure. I need a path forward. Help me. And you'll get a Bible reading plan. You'll start reading the Bible. But hear me say this to you. Somewhere along the way, life will happen, and you'll get behind. And when you get behind, don't quit. Because here's the reality. Exodus chapter 3, five weeks behind when you were supposed to read it, is just as inspired by God as when you were supposed to read it. The plan is not inspired. The Bible is inspired. So read it. Read it. Maybe for others of you, you, you don't need a plan. You need a tool as you navigate reading the Bible. So, so here, we promote this tool called SOAP. It's an acronym. And so you need a Bible and something to write on. And S stands for scripture. And you just write down, what's the passage or verses that stood out to me? You write that down. And then O is observation, and so you just observe, what, what, is, what do I see this saying? What does it say about God? What does it say about humanity? Are there commands that I need to obey? Are there sins that I need to avoid? Are there prayers that I need to pray? What am I observing here? What do I see? And then we move into A, application. What do I need to do in light of what I've seen? How's this gonna shape my life? And then finally to P, prayer. In light of what the word of God says and what I've seen and what I'm gonna do, How does it shape the way that I pray? It's just a tool to help you focus. If you're like, I don't like soap. Like, I don't care. Do something else. We didn't corner the market on it. 
Create your own acronym. It doesn't really matter to me. The point is to have a tool by which you can navigate and focus as you read the scriptures. And maybe for others of you, you need something like this. You need something that's gonna help you navigate it because let's just be honest, there are moments that you've read the Bible and you finished whatever your reading was for the day and you're like, I don't have any clue what that was about. You're just like, I don't, amen, I guess. Uh, but stuff like this, you'll, you'll, get, you'll get the scriptures and then you'll get study notes underneath those scriptures that will help you interpret what the Bible says. Look, the study notes aren't inerrant, but they're helpful. And so grab one of these, get a study Bible. It's tools in your belt to help you navigate and read the Bible. So we read the Bible. We also memorize the Bible. We don't just read it. We memorize it. We commit it to our memory. We lodge it in our hearts. We sink it down into our guts. Because I've heard Ben Stewart say it like this, our inputs determine our outputs. What we put in will be what comes out. And so we memorize the scriptures. This is how the psalmist says it in Psalm 119, verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. How do we wage war against our, as we're in this battle with ourselves? How do I not go to the places I don't wanna go? We store up God's word in our heart so that in the moment where we're pressed, what comes out is the truth of God's word to navigate us to a better way. We memorize God's word. Maybe for some of you, you're like, I, I'm not good at memorizing things. Like, I can't remember folks' names. Like, I got one, like one name memorized of my kids, for that matter. You know, just like, I don't, I just don't know. I'm not good at this. But one of the things that's helped me is uh, doing this with my kids. Because my kids are on another level in their ability to memorize. I have a six, four, and one-year-old. I ain't trying to get outpaced by my four-year-old, you know? They can just absorb it so quickly. And doing this with them has just caused me to, we want them to have these truths in them. And so these truths are now in us. So do it with people. You don't have kids. Do it with a friend. Do it with a coworker who's a follower of Jesus. You figure out how you need to do that. You lodge God's word in your heart because what happens when we get pressed is what we've put in is what will come out. My wife earlier this year decided to memorize Psalm 46 with a friend. Psalm 46 begins like this. This is the first three verses. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. It's the psalmist saying, God, this is who you are. And so I'm not gonna fear. Even though things are chaotic, I won't fear because you are a refuge and strength. You're very present in our trouble. So my wife commits this psalm to memory. And I don't know her thoughts along the way, but certainly it could have been, why am I doing this? Like, I don't have time for that. I've got three kids, you know, just like, I, I got things to do. There's toys everywhere. Like, what am I supposed to, I, I don't have, to, like, what, is, what is this for, God? Fast forward to this past Wednesday. And my wife's having a medical procedure done later this month. And so the center where her doctor performs the procedure gives her a call. We're not expecting this call. It wasn't on our calendar. We didn't just like, I can't wait till this phone call comes in. She gets this call and they're like, hey, we're from the center. We're just letting you know, you owe a significant sum of money prior to this procedure happening. We're like, praise God, this is so great. 
you've, maybe you've received one of these phone calls before. You're like, uh, oh, okay. And in that moment, what could come out of her is like, God, this is ridiculous. Like, we're trying to, we're trying to serve you. Like, we're, we're trying to do the right thing here. When she got pressed, what could have come out of her is panic. But when she got pressed, what did come to her mind is this. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, though the phone call comes with the money that you didn't anticipate paying. We're not going to fear, because this is who our God is. We'll bet on him. It was the memorized word of God that came out of my wife's heart in a moment of pressing. And so it will be for you. What you store up in your heart will be what comes out of your heart. So we memorize God's word. So we read, we memorize, and finally we obey God's word. That the intention of the scriptures is not just to give us information, it's meant to shape the way that we live. This is what James says in James chapter one. Verse 22 through 25, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James' instruction is, don't just hear it, you've got to do it. And then he gives this illustration because a, a person who just hears and doesn't do, it's like a person who walks in the bathroom and looks in the mirror, they've been in a public gathering, they've been eating some food, and they kind of do one of these numbers and notice there's something in their teeth, and then they walk away and forget that it's there, back into their public gathering to interact with one another. You've been there, you've seen your friends have something in your teeth, and you're like, should I say something? Like, this is like, this is staring at me. I'm not even hearing what you're saying right now. Like, <laughs> he says, the person that, that hears and doesn't do is like the person that looks at their face intently in the mirror and then rolls out and forgets. It's, it's meant to almost like invoke something in us to say like, that's kind of ridiculous. And that's the point to hear God's word and not do something with it, just to, just to lodge it in our brains as information and not let it shape the way that we live would be incorrect. We're meant to be doers of the word. It ought to shape the way we live. We want to obey. You get this as parents. And if you're not a parent, you get this as somebody who's had parents. And you just imagine this scenario. You tell your kid or kids, hey, I'm about to run this errand. There's some dishes in the sink, need to be scrubbed down, put in the dishwasher, Hopefully that's, I want that to be done before I get back. And you like, no, like lock eyes with me. Hear what I'm saying to you. Dishes, scrub, dishwasher, before I get back. Shake your head yes, right? Like they've acknowledged your instruction. And you go and you run your errand and you come back and you happen to walk through the kitchen and you notice, oh, there are dishes that have not been scrubbed down uh, nor put in the dishwasher. I could have sworn that I like told them. I gave them the information. I locked eyes with them. They shook their head up and down. But they didn't do what I said. Your giving of information came with the assumption of action. And if that's true from us as parents to our kids, how much more true is it from our Heavenly Father to us? 
He does give us instruction and information that's meant to shape our action. We're meant to obey God's word. So we read, we memorize and obey God's word. It's the first way we walk by the spirit. Second way we walk by the spirit is by living in biblical community. We live in biblical community that the Christian life is not a solo show. Some of you think you can do this by yourself. You're a go-getter. You run and you gun and you think you can pull this off by yourself. But it's not meant to be that way. Genesis chapter two, verse 18, God says this to Adam. The Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. It's not good. We're not meant to roll alone as followers of Jesus. It is not enough for us to gather in spaces like this, shake hands with the person next to us, stare at the back of their head, and then go home and live no significant life in relationships with other people of Jesus. You are meant for more than that. And that waging war by walking by the Spirit looks like living in biblical community, a community of followers of Jesus that will stare each other in the face and sharpen and motivate each other toward godliness day by day. Because Hebrews 3.13 says it like this, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Because here's the reality, left to ourselves, sin will deceive us. We have blind spots. There are things in us that we cannot see, that we cannot notice. It's just become normal for us. We've made room for it. We have now justified it. And sin deceives us. And we need other people, other people of Jesus, to gently and kindly and helpfully pull us into community to motivate us toward godliness. Perhaps that will be in motivation. Perhaps that might come via correction. And don't hear what I'm not saying. This is not like, so start walking around Bay Area Church and be like, this is your sin, this is your sin, this is your sin. That's unhelpful. Don't do that. But have some significant relationships that you live in, that you say, I'm, I'm giving you permission to notice everything and to call me out when I've deviated for the sake of my own holiness. We live in biblical community. The true biblical community is, is more than being friends with Christian people. It's intended to be mutually encouraging to each other, to remain faithful to Jesus and to walk in step with the Spirit. That's biblical community. And so maybe the action step for some of you is you need to join a life group. And you're like, oh, it's convenient. You're promoting your own program. Like, look, I don't get a commission check for this. You know, just like, you don't have to go to the next step. It's like, well, Cade sent me here. They're like, Cade, okay, so that's gonna go on. his like, that's, I, don't, I don't get a kickback for this. We really do believe this. We really do believe that life with Christ is better lived with other people of Jesus. I am living in this scenario in a life group with other followers of Jesus, not just because I'm a pastor. It's like, you better check that box or you're a fake pastor because I'm a Christian who needs other Christians to shape me to be more like Jesus. And so maybe you'll join a life group and perhaps for some of you, you're like, but man, like we're busy, bro. Like this is the suburbs. We got things, man. It's just kind of inconvenient. It's like another hour, it's another day. My kids, they got things, and we got things, and you know, we got, you know, there's just things. So we just, 
I don't know that we can do that. Let's become a people who inconvenience ourselves for the things that lead us toward holiness and not for the things that lead us away from it. Because the truth of the matter is, you're willing to inconvenience yourself. You do it all the time. So why don't we become a people who inconvenience ourselves to be shaped to be more like Jesus? It will be work because relationships take work. You will walk into that life group and it probably won't be like cheers, you know? Like sometimes you wanna go where everybody knows your name. You'll come back the second time and the third time and the fourth time. You're like, tell me your name again. You're like, I knew these people were fake. I ain't coming back. Like, <laughs> relationships take time, so give it some time. Do the work. Be inconvenienced for the sake of your holiness because this is a means by which we wage war walking in the Spirit. We live in biblical community. Last way we walk in the Spirit is by confessing our sin. We confess our sin. James 5, 16 says it like this, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the instruction from James. Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another. And what you don't receive from God in that moment is guilt and shame and how dare you, but what you receive is the faithfulness of God to extend forgiveness to you and to cleanse you from all of that unrighteousness. So the assumption that you carry that if you acknowledge that sin to God, he's gonna get you is a false assumption. The scriptures give you a different picture. The scriptures will say otherwise that God stands ready to forgive It's more like the father with a prodigal son and less like the father with his arms folded saying, I cannot believe you. And so we confess our sin to one another. We acknowledge our sin to God. I'm not saying you need to confess your sin to every person you know. In fact, don't do that. But you need at least one trusted brother in Christ, one trusted sister in Christ that knows every part of you, the darkest parts of your heart, and will, catch this, and will, in that moment, still sit with you, look you in the face and say, I love you, I'm with you, the gospel is enough for you. Look to Jesus, I'll lift your arms, don't grow weary, turn around, keep going, fight. We confess our sins. It's the means by which we walk by the Spirit and wage war in this battle. And what happens when we sin is that we hear this whisper from the enemy. Hey, just don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. If you tell people, they're going to shame you. It's going to be bad. Just don't, don't tell anybody. And so we step back with our sin into the dark with this assumption that we can just manage it, we'll work it out, we'll work harder, we'll read our Bible more, we'll show up to church more, we'll prove to God, we'll give some money, God, I'll just let you know, like I'm trying here. And your sin will thrive in the dark. And what you need to do is confess your sin. To do what John says in 1 John 1 is to walk in the light. Because it's in the light where sin dies. 
And so we confess our sin to one another. We acknowledge our sin to God. And maybe for, for, for some of you, you're like, but if I confess my sin to people, they're going to know that I don't have it all together. I'm working pretty hard to let folks know that I've got it all together. Have you seen my Instagram? So if I just acknowledge my sin to them, they're just going to know I don't have it together. You're right. They will know that. And if they have walked with Jesus for any amount of time, they will look you back in the face and say to you, I don't have it together either. We're stumbling toward holiness together, and we're way better together than we are by ourselves. So we acknowledge our sin to one another and to God. It's a means by which we walk by the Spirit. And what it looks like to walk by the Spirit. We read the Bible, we obey the Bible, we memorize the Bible, we live in biblical community, we confess our sin. Now the question that we're left with is, how do we know if we're doing this? Look back at verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. We know if we are walking in step with the Spirit, if we are producing the fruit of the Spirit. So you need to ask yourself the question, what is my life producing? Not perfectly, but more regularly. What is your life producing? Does it come out of the first list or the second? Because we are proven to be walking by the Spirit when we produce the fruit of the Spirit. And so just reflect on that. What is your life producing? Walking in step with the Spirit looks like doing these things that allow you to live under the constant moment-by-moment direction and control and guidance of the Spirit. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes? I just want to give you a moment by yourself and ask you some questions to reflect on. The first one is, do you have the Holy Spirit? You don't have the Holy Spirit of God apart from belief in the Son of God. And so perhaps today, you'll just voice a prayer to God. I, I, I believe this. God, God, I believe that your Son has lived, died, and risen. And we'll have some pastors and prayer partners up here, and maybe you just need to acknowledge that to them. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Second, are you walking in step with the Spirit? Continually, moment by moment, under his authority. And if not, what's the step that you need to take today? Reading, memorizing, obeying the the word of God. Living in biblical community, confessing your sin. What's the step? And if you are walking in step with the Spirit, what's the next step? that you need to keep taking. And maybe some of you just need to ask the question and reflect, what is my life producing? And then navigate questions from there. I'm gonna pray for us, and then we'll respond however God leads you to respond. Father, we're grateful just for a few moments to open your word, 
to think about these things. God, I pray that you would give these people the courage they need to respond in the way that you are calling them. So if that's strength, give them strength. If that's help, give them help. Provision, give them provision. Clarity, give them clarity. God, just, just be near to us. And in these moments, shape us to be more like your son. We love you. We say that in Jesus' name. Amen.